Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash necessary blackness. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. You can access it from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the school to prison pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installment. Elementary Genocide 3, The Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media, and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now, our feature presentation Peace and Power Black Family, this is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And this week, we have a special guest in the building. We have Tracy D. Syfax. And many of y'all are familiar with Tracy. Tracy has been featured in Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline, as well as Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. Now, Tracy has spent 18 years on some of the toughest streets in New Jersey, coupled with his now 23 years as an award-winning, successful entrepreneur. He is a bold, innovative thinker who has changed the face of reentry, a leader on complex problems of reentry solutions for the formerly incarcerated. He has been known to inspire, motivate, and educate through the three C's, education, employment, 
and entrepreneurship. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Tracy Syfax. How you doing, brother? Peace, brother Shabazz, and, and thank you for having me on Necessary Blackness. It's definitely an honor every time I get a chance to, to step in Atlanta to be able to connect with you while I'm here. Speaking about stepping into Atlanta, I understand that you are down here for an event, and it's called The Collateral Consequences, Exploring Moral Principles and Economic Innovation to Restore Rights and Opportunities. Yes. That sounds like something that I needed to be involved in. <laughs> Um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, yes. Um, you know, it's always an honor um, to work with the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyer, Lawyers when it comes down to um, criminal justice reform and um, and end of mass incarceration as we know it. Um, you know, I've been working with the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers for probably um, going on four years, speaking at their conferences and, and working with their organizations. So it's always great when we get opportunity to bring everything together for our yearly conference and, you know, bringing speakers. Um, they've been real big on having the formerly incarcerated uh, represented at these events, which I think is very important. You know, I spoke at a um, health and occupational um, prison event a couple of years ago and they was doing it for 24 years. And it was the first time in 24 years that they had um, um, returning citizens actually speak on the panel. So it's been a continuous thing of them talking about us and talking around us, um, but not talking with us and having us part of the conversation. So it's good to be here in Atlanta. It's good to be here and to be able to talk about the things that's necessary to end this um, system of um, mass incarceration that we have in America. Now, two things that you said that are very important is us having a seat at the table and also Anytime you speak about reentry, incarceration, mass incarceration, you always got to have individuals that have skin in the game. Absolutely. Because they know what the problem is and they know what the solution is nine times out of ten. Um, we just kind of almost just like jumped into everything. And I don't want to assume that everybody knows you. So for those that don't know, tell us who Tracy Syfax is. Wow. Um, so let's 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 go back um, because I think it my story pretty much um, details how I end up where I'm in today and, and this fight to end mass incarceration. You know, as someone who has has spent um, close to seven years in some of the toughest prisons in the state of New Jersey, um, along with 18 years in, in the streets. Um, selling drugs, using drugs, um, to be able to go to prison for my last time and come home in 1993 and just make a vow to myself and my God that I wasn't going back to prison and that I was going to change my life. And, um, you know, I, I ended up, you know, getting a little position working for a company, worked my way up from um, labor to uh, mechanic to supervisor in two and a half years. And after two and a half years, quit. Um, started my first company after attending the Million Man March. Actually, it was probably about less than six months after attending the Million Man March um, that I created my first business. Uh, one of the things that Minister Farrakhan said at the Million Man March, and I talk about this in my book, From the Block to the Boardroom, is that if you didn't have a job, your charge was to go back to your community and create a job. Um, even though I was working at the time, I understood exactly what the minister was talking about. We was talking about ownership. He was talking about having the ability to, um, to make a job for yourself. And I wanted to be able to do that not for, only for myself, but for my people. So, you know, I started my first business in 95, grew that to a million-dollar corporation, um, started another company about eight years after that, 
um, in real estate. He started amassing millions of dollars worth of real estate in the same community um, that I used to sell drugs in that I grew up in. Um, so throughout my now 23-year career in business, um, along with being successful in business, I've been a strong advocate for ending mass incarceration, working with the with the Obama White House. And I just want to make sure we clearly state the Obama <laughs> White House, number 44, uh, working with the Obama White House on the Fair Chance Business Pledge. We were one of the founding um, signers of that Fair Chance Business Pledge. When we started that, uh, we only had maybe about 30 different businesses. Um, by the time the president left office, we had over 400-something businesses, including a lot of Fortune 500 companies that were willing to give returning citizens a shot at employment. Um, so the work that we've been doing, you know, not only in the business side, recognizing that entrepreneurship is a way up and a way out for a lot of us. Um, as you know, you recognize that as a business owner yourself. Um, but to be able to go back to our community now and do what I do now as far as teaching folks, not only in prison, um, but outside prisons, how to start and run their business, I think is a very, very important tool that we need in order to fund the most important things that we need to be successful and to live in this country. So absolutely, uh, we got to do it. We got to make money. And in order to do that, we need to learn how to do business and do it the right way. Now, you talked about your book, From the Block to the Boardroom. How was you able to go from the block to the boardroom? It was an easy transition. You know, and I look back on my life and I talk about this quite often when I talk to my, my students in the reentry ventures classes that, you know, I, I had all the tools. Prior to me going into business, my 18 years in the streets selling drugs, I knew product, I knew customers, I knew organization skills, I knew people skills. I knew all those things that it was necessary for me to sell drugs and to land myself in prison. Um, taking those same skills and using those same skills um, have proved have proved to be uh, suited me well in business today. I think when I look back over my 18 year career in selling drugs and dealing with with crack addicts and heroin addicts for all those years, um, I, I I know game. You know what I mean? And it served me very well. I tell people all the time, I probably met more crooks in the boardroom than I ever met on the block, and and I'm able to discern the difference because of my experiences in the streets. Mm. That is definitely the truth because I tell people all the time, you know, most people, they see people in the boardroom and they see them wearing suits, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this perception that if you wear a suit, you're successful, mm -hmm. but it's only till they come to find out that individual like myself that wear sweatsuits and a t-shirt. It's just as successful. And sometimes we hire those mm -hmm. that wear the suits. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter whether you're in the boardroom or you're on the block. You do possess business skills mm -hmm. and you just got to harness it and you have to bring it out. So that was very important that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to go back um, to about two, I think it may have been two years ago. Mm -hmm. You was able to get a clemency from the governor of New Jersey. And many people are wondering, how was you able to do that? I know it started with the petition, which I signed, but how did that whole process go and what has been the outcome of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this actually, it's only been, uh, actually um, happened last year, December of last year. So I just recently received a pardon um, a good nine months ago. But um, yeah, it, it actually started, you know, like you said, two, three years ago, we started a petition online. Um, garnered about maybe four or five thousand signatures. 
um, in support of my part. And, um, but it happened one day. I was in a real estate class about two years ago. Um, I just wanted to have my license in real estate in the state of New Jersey because I deal in real estate. Um, so when I was in the class and first started the class, the instructor came and tapped me on my shoulder and asked me to step into the room. Um, I've been tapped on my shoulder plenty of times to ask to step into a room. And typically, <laughs> I know what that is about. Um, so I went into the room and he told me, he said, listen, I seen on your application that you put down, you was convicted of a car, convicted of selling drugs. Just want to let you know that, you know, you know, you still may be eligible for your license, but they could deny you because of it. Blasey, blasey. So after talking with him and going back um, to take my seat, it just hit me. You know what I mean? I'm a grown man. I've been home for 21 years. I think I've established myself in the business community and the political community and in my community, period, as a successful entrepreneur, one who has changed his life around. There's no reason why after 21 years, I still have to be pulled to the side to talk about a conviction that happened in 1988. Um, so I was fed up. I was fed up. So right after I left out of that class, I called my attorney. I said, listen, man, I'm, not, I'm tired of messing around with this. Let's put in an application for a pardon. And that started the process two years ago. Um, lo and behold, um, we've worked with the, the former governor, Christie, on some, um, as you know, on Ban the Box, on um, bail reform and some other issues that affect New Jersey over the years. So, you know, being able to have the governor's ear and to work on those issues that affect our community, I think is very important. But also knowing that using myself as an example, I was the prime example of how wrong this system was that after 21 years, I still have to answer the fact that I've been convicted of a crime. So the governor, when he gave me my pardon in December, he also signed in some new um, expungement laws that enable people with multiple convictions, which was always my problem, is that I have more than one charge. In the state of New Jersey, you have multiple drug charges, and I say this all the time. I don't know too many brothers that I ran with that sold drugs one time. <laughs> so everybody got multiple charges. And even if you got caught one time, one charge is turned into four or five because they hit you with, you know, a thousand feet of a school, possession, possession with attempted distribute, possession um, in a motor vehicle. So you end up with four or five charges anyway. But that was always um, the catch-22 in New Jersey. Um, so I could never get my record convicted. But the governor, when he um, granted me my pardon, he actually signed in some new expungement law so people with multiple convictions could now get those records expunged. So... It was a great day. It was a great um, opportunity not only to get my record pardoned, but also open up the door for the many brothers and sisters that's going to be coming behind me. Now, speaking of clemency and pardons, that's dealing with politics. Mm -hmm. And I've seen on your Facebook, a lot of people have been asking you, and it's almost like a cry from the people. And you know our people, we're always looking for that one savior <laughs> to come back and save us. But people are wondering... When Tracy D. Syfax is going to throw his hat in the political ring? You know, it's been a lot of speculation. I really had to um, actually issue a press release uh, about a month ago around, around the same issue, man. Um, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm very aware of what politics and the effects that politics has on our community. I've learned that as a businessman for 23 years. I know for, you know, everything, everything, everything good and bad that we have in our community um, is a direct result of policies and politicians that we elect into office. So I understand how things get done. I understand that arena. Um, but now I, you know, I try to run away from politics. Um, as you know, I've been an independent um, for the 27 years that I've been in business. I've only really switched back to the Democratic Party when I had to vote for our, our president, uh, former President Barack Obama. But, 
You know, I've been independent, man. I, I'm from the model that, you know, no permanent friends, no permanent um, enemies, just permanent interests. And I just look at what's best for not only for me and my future and my family and my community um, when I look at and deal with politics. So now I'm not interested in politics. I, I can get more work done um, from my point as a businessman um, than I can from working inside. So I believe that, you know, through working in this and, 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 and building businesses and having entrepreneurship and helping other brothers and sisters that are coming home from prison start their business, I think I can be more effective in that arena than my hand being tied in the political game. Plus, you know, I speak my mind. I've been signing both, <laughs> both sides of my check for, for 23 years. So, yeah. you know, being under politics is going to put a lot of restrictions on what I can say and what I can do. And, and, you know, I can't do that. Well, you know, all politics are local. So anybody in the local Trenton, New Jersey community, he might not be into politics, but he's in a position where he can control the politics. And that's what businesses do, and that's what people that have a voice in the community do, because the politicians actually work for us, and a Absolutely. lot of people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty, because I know a lot of people want to know, especially those that haven't read that book, The Block to the Boardroom. You talk about being a successful entrepreneur and running a multi-million dollar business. Now- People are going to want you to give up that million-dollar game. So <laughs> can you just walk us through the steps that one should go from whether he's a formerly incarcerated individual or someone that's just trying their first hand at being an entrepreneur? What are some of the steps they should uh, go through and what are some of the pitfalls that they may encounter on this path? That's a good question. Um I think number one is is that when we look at those who have traveled the path, let's travel that we've come from, um, just to know, and I'm speaking to both, those who have been to prison, those who have never been to prison, that we are individuals who are capable of starting to run a successful businesses, no matter where you come from. So let's just put that out there right now. Whether you're a returning citizen or a citizen, period, um, we have an ability in this country to to start businesses. Um, I talk about two things in our community. You got two types of trades in our community. You got the the voluntary trade and you got the involuntary trade. The in, the voluntary trade meaning that we create an atmosphere where people like you and myself um, can start businesses and businesses can flourish and we can deal in commerce and, and make money. Um, the 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 involuntary trade is saying that we don't create those atmospheres in our community and. I don't have an opportunity to do that. So because I can't get a job and because I can't create my own business, I'm going to take what you have. So I think, you know, when we look at entrepreneurship, when we look at businesses in our community, I believe we create an atmosphere and we start a school. We don't teach our kids to start business. We teach them go to school, get a job. I mean, go to school, go to college, get a job, go to school, go to college, get a job. We're not teaching our kids to be business owners. And we have to get back to that because, you know, if we don't, we, we, we lose out. We begin to be more consumers than we do um, producers. So I believe in the power of entrepreneurship. But one of the things that I talk about in my course and one of the first lessons in my course is because I believe it's important is ethics. You know, when we're in business, we got to do what we say we're going to do. Absolutely. Our word has to be our bond. And I think if we can do that, if we can get that down packed, 
I think you could be begin to 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 realize a path, a career path that would be very successful. A lot of people in business, um, you know, don't do that. Uh, one of the things that that I took advantage of when I first got into the roofing business twenty three years ago was that I used to hear a lot of customers say, "Man, I called him, he didn't show up." Man, he charged me this outrageous price. He came late. When the guys got here, they fell all out the truck and beer bottle. So you hit all these complaints, man. And I just took advantage of that. I, I used to hear this stuff and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to be on time for my appointments. You know what? I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And we were able to build a successful career in 23 three years off of just doing good business. So I think that's one of the number one things. If we can be good business people, have great ethics about what we do, and keep our word as our bond. When we say we're going to do something, do it. Even if we're going to lose a little bit of money because things didn't turn out the way we had hoped they had turned out, I believe we can begin to be successful in business. But it has to start with ethics and who we are. Now, one of the main things that you said is about having business etiquette and ethics. And I think that is very important, especially in this political climate where you have a lot of people that are going to other individuals that may be in our community but not of our community. And it's almost like the the white man ice is colder. And, I, and I'm seeing the complaints is that, you know, black people, they do bad business. And I think a successful individual like you, it's almost like evidence, you know what I mean, mm. that we are changing that narrative, mm. that there are black businesses that are professional and that are thriving. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. another thing that you said, and I want to unpack, you said business creates jobs, which we all know when you have businesses that create jobs, that reduces the, the, the recidivism mm -hmm. for those that are returning home. And you as a business owner a lot of the people that you hire are formerly incarcerated. Mm -hmm. How has your experience been with hiring those that was formerly incarcerated? Um, some of my best experiences. Um, I talk about this quite often, and this is the reason why I actually um, uh, ended up at the White House uh, for the work that I've done over the years. What I found that is that some of, some of the folks are missing out on some of their best employees by discriminating against folks who have had hard times, who have made mistakes in their lives. Um, when we do that, we, we miss out as employers um, on some of our best talents. So I've learned over the years and some of my best talent that I have right now are returning citizens, those who have, who have made mistakes, who have turned their life around and just doing some great things right now. So um, we just got finished um, screening a documentary that we're going to actually take and show in, in New Jersey at a chamber called Knife Skills. If you don't get a chance, you can Google it and check it out. But Knife Skills is about a restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio that's run by all returning citizens and it talks about how they how they started out but once again that documentary is, is a look into what we can do if given the opportunity um to do it and until we get that opportunity but you know and that's another thing once we get that opportunity we have to take advantage of it and we have to um do the best that we can to um to hold on to it and then and then, even if it's not something that you want to do because trust me i talk about this quite often i didn't aspire to be no roofer and i don't know nobody that I know that want to be a roofer. But the fact of the matter is that I took that trade and used that trade and spun off that trade and been able to create a couple of billion dollar businesses from that. And I think that's important. And I never quit doing that until I make sure that I'll have something else to fall back on. Now, 
Um, some of them businesses that you have is a construction company. Mm-hmm. You deal in real estate, mm-hmm. and you also do what? Snow removal. Um, snow removal is part of our construction company's portfolio. Yeah, so we do the. Um, we have the construction company. We have the um, real estate development company. Uh, we have Reentry Ventures, which is my partnership with Open for Business Ventures, where we teach entrepreneurship. Actually, we'll be in D.C. Actually, this Monday we're in D.C. recruiting thirty-five inmates inside the D.C. jail to take those guys to a three to a um, 12-week entrepreneurship program. So that's the third business. And actually, the fourth business that we just created and that we're working on now, um, we're looking to get into the cannabis industry as it begins to um, pick up in the the state of New Jersey, especially around medical marijuana. Okay. Man of many hats and definitely flexing his entrepreneurial spirits. What we're going to do real quick, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back, and I'll see you on the other side. And for those that are just joining me, this is Raheem Shabazz, and our special guest is Tracy D. Sidefacts. Necessary Blackness Podcast don't accept sponsorship from third-party corporations or influencers. We are supported by the people. If you are an avid listener of the podcast, consider donating to our cause. Go to elementarygenocide.com and click on the donation link. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the school to prison pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on a necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the lowrider guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness Podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You've heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness Podcast with my brother, my home. Oh boy, my main number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project, hanging out with Raheem Shabazz all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms. 
iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? This is Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. We are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are joining me, I am sitting here with Tracy D. Syfax, entrepreneur, author, of the award-winning book, From the Block to the Boardroom, also featured in the award-winning documentary, Elementary Genocide 1 and 2. And he's also in another documentary called Incarcerating Us. Make sure y'all go, y'all check that out. Purchase that book, go see that documentary. Now, Tracy, before we went to the commercial break, you mentioned about your recent trip to D.C. with uh, Reentry Ventures. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my partnership with Reentry Ventures started two years ago. Um, actually, it was born out of the White House when I, when I attended the White House in 2014 as far as what we can go back in our communities and do. And one of the things that I was so big on was entrepreneurship and being able to create businesses and, and create owners in our community. So when I went back to New Jersey, um, I began to put the pieces of the puzzle together, create the partnerships that I need to be able to, number one, develop a course, develop an online course that teaches people where they are. So our, our, our online course is made up in a couple of different areas. If you love reading, you know, you can read it. Um, if you don't like reading and you like watching videos, our course is all in videos. Our course is all in audios. Any way that you learn, our, our course is set up specifically to teach you entrepreneurship. So, um, you know, when we did the Aspire to Entrepreneurship program in, in D.C. two years ago, that was the pilot program where we took 15 um, returning citizens to a 12-week entrepreneurship course and, and were able to actually, out of those 14 individuals, 15 individuals, we were actually able to create 14 businesses and 42 jobs in District 6 and 7 in D.C., so we were very successful with that entrepreneurship program. But I recognize as a returning citizen, someone who'd been down that road, that teaching folks that just came home from prison and sitting in the class, you know what I mean? You really don't have their undivided attention. And you know how it is, right? You're just coming home. You're sitting in the classroom. Your mind is on, you know, who I'm, what girl I'm going to see tonight. You know what I mean? All this time I've been locked up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So... Being able to to learn entrepreneurship and have all those other things and and then some of the real stuff like where I'm gonna sleep tonight, Absolutely. you know what I mean? How I'm gonna take care of my kids? You know what I mean? Is this job gonna pay me enough? So all those things and be able to learn and be taught how to start and run the business at the same time was amazing for us to create those fourteen businesses. But I recognize that if we took this inside the prison and start inside the prison and then continue it on the outside, I think we can have even greater success. So um, this Monday, we're going to go back in. We're going inside the prisons, and we're going to do a pilot inside the prison where we're going to take um, 35 individuals to a 12-week course. So I'm excited about that because I know going inside, I have their undivided attention. attention. Absolutely. They're going to do their homework. I know they're going to do their homework. There's no question about it. They ain't got nothing but time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm so, uh, um, I, I think the D.C. Um, superintendent, um, D.C. mayor, and all our partners in D.C. that really believe that this is an innovative, groundbreaking opportunity to teach people where they are. So we're excited about it, man. And we're excited to not only do that, but also do it on tablets. So we partnered with a tablet company out of, DC, out of New York called American Prison Data System. And they're going to provide the tablets. So education, having them to have the ability to have these tablets in the prison and learn from these tablets. And one of the great things about the tablets, Raheem, is that they noticed over the past few years, you know the number one thing that, that they're watching at night on these tablets? TED Talks. Tech mm. Talks is the number okay. one user of these tablets. So it's educational. It's inspirational. It's motivational. All those things they're getting off these tablets. So we're excited to be working with this company and to provide our entrepreneurship course to those tablets. So as we begin this thing in D.C., we're going to look to take it across the country. We want to be able to teach people inside prisons how to come home and start to run their own business. That is phenomenal that you are able to not only reach individuals, but you're reaching them where they're at, and you also teaching them according to their style of learning. Absolutely. Because there's visual learners, there's auditory learners, so whichever suits them the best, mm -hmm. that's how you are teaching them. And I think that's the problem in public school. Absolutely. You know, there is not one way to teach 100 students. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a unique way of learning. So... I definitely think a program of that magnitude is going to definitely be a success. And I know there's individuals that's probably listening to this that wants to know, is this going to be replicated and be done in other states besides D.C.? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're working actually with some partners in Newark, New Jersey right now um, to bring this program to Newark. We have partners in Philadelphia that we're working with, and we have partners in New York that we're working with. So... You know, between D.C., um, we're looking at meeting with some folks in Baltimore next month. Um, we're looking to spread this thing out, and we believe we have the model um, that creates these businesses in our community. And when we look at our communities, right, you know, we don't own anything anymore. And this is we what don't. we have to get back to. See, I grew up in the 70s, and you know I talk about this in front of the block to the boardroom. I grew up in the 70s when we owned a lot of the businesses in our community. So I had an opportunity to grow up and see what a black entrepreneur looked like on a daily basis. So even though I sold drugs, I always knew what a successful black entrepreneur looked like. So I can always aspire to be that. We don't do that in our community enough, and our kids don't see that enough. So we have to get back to that. And I think this program that we created around reentry ventures and, and teaching people how to, um, to start and run their own businesses I think it's something that's much needed in our community. I've seen the results in D.C. If you get an opportunity, um, Google Lorenzo Stewart, Washington, D.C. Lorenzo came into our class um, in a wheelchair and an ex-offender. Oh, wow. um, and he pulled me on the side, man. He, says, he said, listen, Mr. Syfax, he said, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if they discriminate against me because I'm in a wheelchair or they discriminate against me because I got a record. He said, but either way, I can't get a job. And this entrepreneurship course is my last opportunity to do something for my daughter and for my family. Well, lo and behold, Lorenzo, after 12 weeks, Lorenzo finished um, top three in our class. We gave out um, $300 um, gift certificates for people. No, it was actually $300 checks for them to open up a business account, their first business account. And Lorenzo won one of those awards, and he opened up his first business account. Um, this was two years ago. Lorenzo received a $45,000 loan last year. 
He has three vans, and right now he has five employees, and he just put out a call to hire three more employees. So Lorenzo is doing it and this already. this is the man in the wheelchair. This is the man in the wheelchair. Wow. Started a power transit business. He recognized the problem of getting around D.C. in the wheelchair, and he started a power transit business. And they just did an article. That's why I said if you get a chance to Google him, they just did an article on him not too long ago where he was transporting um, cancer patients to the Washington Bullets games in his mm-hmm. vans. So already he's given back. And that's one of the things we talk about in the courts. We harp on that you have to be a part of the community. You have to give back. Ethics, all those things that make a successful business person, we talk about in our courts. And Lorenzo got it, and he understands it. So he's created the business, he created the model, and already within two years he's transporting cancer patients for free to the Washington Bullet game. So he understands what we taught in the class, and he took it and ran with it. So it's safe to say you possibly saved that man's life. We will hope that, you know, through entrepreneurship and creating these opportunities in our communities, we're not only saving his life, we're saving the whole community. Because when we take one person off the corner, so guess what? We save, you know, we save lives that way. So not just his. I think we talk about the whole ecosystem, the whole community thrives. So when I address folks about hiring more cops and we got to get tough on crime, I'm saying these are smart on crime initiatives that Absolutely. we can implement that reduces crimes, reunites families like it did with his, and also makes our community safer. So now, this is the answer. Now, you spoke previously about leading the charge for Ban the Box in the state of New Jersey. Can you tell me about the adversary for voting rights that you're working on in the state of New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just like many other laws, you know, Ban the Box was not to be the end-all law type you know type of thing where is that we say okay we ban the box all return the citizen to stay in new jersey can get jobs now it just doesn't happen like that and we still need to um do more in the area of ban the box and and really hold these businesses accountable but it was a start and we got to continue to work on that and continue to enhance that and make ban the box better um but you know now we've moved into the area of um voting rights um, we believe that um, your current crime should not be committed. I mean, should not be tied to your crime. You know, I'm pretty sure a lot of folks that I knew, or a lot of folks that are, are robbed liquor stores or go up in a bank, you know, they don't think about, well, if I rob this liquor store, I might not want to do this because they're going to take my voting rights. Nobody thinks about their voting rights before they commit a crime. So there's no way your voting rights should be tied to a crime. So what we're saying in the state of New Jersey, because we have... 100,000 disenfranchised voters in the state of New Jersey, meaning people that are on parole that can't vote, people that are in prison that can't vote. We're saying they need the opportunity to vote and to cast a ballot because, number one, those that they're voting for are setting policies and laws that's going to affect them. Um, So why not have the right to vote? And they're being counted. So if they're being counted, they need to have the right to vote. So this is something that, that we take a charge on. We're working with our, our Senator Ron Rice out of Newark, um, along with the uh, New Jersey um, Social Justice Institute for Social Justice and a lot of other partners to make sure that we begin now to, to have laws that, that will give them their rights to vote back and begin to give them that voice that needed. And once again, you know, they were able to do this in Philly. You know, Philly is a prime example how this works. You know, Lad Krausner is the new um, district attorney in Philadelphia, former civil rights attorney. Yeah, I've been always absolutely. And you know, they created in Philadelphia a thing called the Block Party, Block Party, which is build, lobby, organize, and campaign. 
The block party is all ex-offenders that got together and using their power of vote and their platform to affect change in their community. And the block party went door to door for Light Krausner. So you can imagine, Raheem, ex-offender knocking on the door telling somebody you should vote for this prosecutor. Unheard of. But that's what they were able to do in Philly. But it's not just a prosecutor. Lad Krausner is our type of prosecutor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Police brutality, the stop and frisk, all those things that affect our community. This is a man that fought against for a number of years. Police brutality, all those things. So now he's a DA. And when he became the DA two weeks into office, guess what he did? What? Fired 52 prosecutors. Wow. Because he said they didn't conform with the way he was looking to take the DA's office. This is how we get it done. So when we talk about the power of vote, and folks say, oh, man, our vote don't count. Well, we need to rethink that. Yeah, because in St. Louis, they just got the prosecutor out of office Mm -hmm. after 27 years. Mm. Let me say that again. After 27 years, they got this man out of office, the prosecutor in the Michael Brown case. Mm -hmm. And- they uh, got a brother in there. Mm-hmm. And also, Michael Brown's mother just got elected to city, city council. council. Absolutely. And this is the power of the people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we might not be able to influence the presidential election because once they get in there, they do what the hell they want. But when you have local elections, it's very important that we get into that. Now, I got one more question for you because I don't want to hold you up. I know tomorrow you got a big day and it's definitely late at night. (laughs) Um, So my last and my final question is, um, I heard there's a prospect of a movie based on your life as told in the book from the block to the boardroom. Could you tell us a little, little, little bit about that without letting the cat all the way out the bag? <laughs> no, nah, we can definitely share a little bit about that. Um, you know, Rod, you know, we've been loaning each other for a long time, actually since I released From the Block to the Boardroom um, in 2012. Um, when we released it in 2012, the the ultimate goal was um, to have From the Block to the Boardroom on the big screen. We we always felt that we had a story that will, um, that will inspire and that would encourage anybody um, that's trapped down to that lifestyle that they can come out of there and do some great things. So having from the block to the boardroom on the big screen has always been the ultimate goal. And I can say that um, we are under negotiations to do that. Um, everything, all the terms actually have been settled. Um, the signed shopping agreement, uh, we're just waiting to get back from the company that's looking to do the movie. So we don't want to talk too much about it, but we're almost there. We're almost there on signing an agreement to have this thing um, put on the big screen. So we're very excited about this opportunity. I'm sure many people are going to go out there and support that movie just as they supported your book. But before you even see the movie, you might want to go get that book. So for everybody that's listening, where can they get that book at? And also, where can they follow you on social media? No, that's good. Um, they can get the book at Amazon. Um, it's definitely definitely there, but we tell people all the time um, that we suggest and recommend that you buy it off our website because um, Amazon is definitely pimping us like they wrote the book. But, um, <laughs> tell <yeah>. me about <laughs> it. So off, off our website at WWF as in Frank, T as in Tom, B as in Boy, the number two, T as in Tom, B as in Boy dot com. Um, you can order right off the website along with our um, Incarcerating Us DVD, along with Elementary Genocide DVDs. 
um, right off our website. So just go to our website. You can order everything off of there. Um, for our social media, you can hit me on Facebook um, at Tracy Sidefacts or at Fun Fun the Block to the Boardroom on Twitter um, at Tracy Sidefacts and on Instagram at Tracy Sidefacts. Uh, follow us on social media. We always have great content, especially on the Fun the Block to the Boardroom page. Um, it's all about entrepreneurship. It's all about ownership. Um, and what we're trying to do, and I'll leave with this right here because I think it's very important. I, I, I can't believe I left this part out. Um, around the entrepreneurship course, what we were able to do is create an online, almost Facebook-type community for our course. Oh, wow. Meaning everybody that's part of our course is also online to this online community. So we're creating and building out an online community of all returning citizens that own and start and run successful businesses and those that are looking to get started in business. So if you're here in Atlanta, we might have a brother that's in Chicago that's into the filmmaker business. You guys can be able to connect mm. um, through this um, online community that we create. And it's so up and running now? It's up and running now. You can go to my site, just hit Entrepreneurship Initiative, and it'll take you right to our course. You'll see the online community right there. Tons of information, tons of articles, everything about business, um, everything about reentry reform. So those are the conversations that we're striking up on social media, and we want to be able to create that system on social media where we can have that platform to network and connect together. All right, you heard it right here first, ladies and gentlemen, on Necessary Blackness Podcast. Now, y'all make sure y'all hit Tracy's side facts up, and he will answer y'all. He's very active on Facebook, and guess what? Hit him up and get that million-dollar game. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and that's it for us. Peace, and we out.